You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 96 of a Life in Ruins podcast, where we investigate the careers of those living life in ruins. I'm your host, Carlton Gover, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Connor Johnnan and David Howe. For today's episode, we are joined by Lindsay Nicole, a zoologist and TikTok personality by the handle of at Lindsay Nicole. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us this evening. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. We're stoked to have you. Yeah. David has shared with us a couple of your TikToks and we got super stoked about it. So we're really happy to dive into zoology today. Awesome. Yeah. I think I had seen a few of your TikToks before, but I didn't like know who you were. And then somebody sent me like your cat domestication one, which I assume was like a pretty viral one. Yes. And I was like, okay, that's actually better content than I could ever dream of making. So uh, I did add this person. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. No problem. So just to kind of get us started tonight, Lindsay, what were your first experiences with zoology growing up? Like, is this something that you kind of naturally gravitated towards since you were a kid or discovered it really in, in college? Yeah, surprisingly, I wasn't a huge animal nerd growing up. I loved the generic animals that everybody was into, but I didn't really dive into anything out of the ordinary really until I went to college. And it wasn't until maybe a year or two into my zoology major that I got really into just the weird animals, the extinct animals and everything. So it was later on. Gotcha. Did you have a favorite animal growing up? I mean, like every kid has a favorite yeah, animal. Yeah, lions for sure. <laughs> Respect. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> what, what made you want to do like the degree in zoology or like go into that? Yeah. So funny enough, because I liked lions so much, I found this volunteer opportunity in South Africa to do um, at the end of my senior year in high school. And so once I did that and experienced, you know, working with big cats, I switched my whole path. I was going to do criminology. And instead I transferred to Oregon State University to do zoology because I wanted to go into animal care and conservation of big cats specifically. Gotcha. Where were you prior to Oregon State? I was at American University in D.C. In Really? Yeah. Are you originally from the Northern Virginia, Southern Maryland area? Not at all. I'm, okay. I'm from L.A. <laughs> And oh, I, I oh. loved American. I had a couple of friends already going there and I just wanted to check it out. Not really knowing exactly what I was going to do, but they had nothing related to zoology because, you know, it was more of a business school. So I had to transfer. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm from Northern Virginia, right across the river. So I had a bunch of friends go to America oh, nice. I've talked about it at nauseum. You definitely checked out Ben's Chili Bowl though, right? While you were there. I didn't. I've never heard of it. <sighs> Man. Bummer. You missed out. Next time you're in DC, Ben's Chili Bowl. Yeah, I definitely it up. will. Yeah, I wasn't there long enough. Hey, was it Ella? Ella Baldwin was from, went to American too. Yeah, and Jesse Toon. And me and Jesse went on a whole okay. rant about Ben's Chili Bowl. <laughs> okay. but, uh, that's for, for another for another time. So okay, then what? So you're so you're from LA. You're in DC at American. Why Oregon State? Like, why not any of the colleges in between the Chesapeake Bay and and in Oregon. <laughs> so when I was trying to figure out where I was going to go for my zoology degree, I was in LA. So I went back to LA for a year, did some community college classes, and I wanted to stay as close to home as I could just because I, I, I love LA. Yeah. And the nearest school I believe was UC Santa Barbara. And I decided I didn't want to go there because they required physics for zoology, which is something I'm so not about. Nope. And the nearest uh, school apart from that was Oregon State. So I just went there. Cool. Do you have a lot of duck stuff? <laughs> or beavers. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Oh, wait, am I, am come on. on. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yeah. My roommate, he was just like, Oregon, 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 Oregon. And like everything was Oregon. I didn't realize it was two different schools. Yeah, that was our arch I've never been up there. <laughs> Yeah, was come it? on, okay. man. That's, that's a, that's right. a monumental my, mess up. <laughs> I don't know sports at all. That's just like, I was never really into it. I dogs. don't really have any beaver stuff either. Okay. Yeah. Did you um, um did you like your time up in the Pacific Northwest? It was beautiful. I, I really loved it just, you know, for the natural aspect of it. My classes were amazing. The resources provided by my school were incredible. The social aspect was weird because it was in a small town and I'd only experienced Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. So that was a huge adjustment for me. And I didn't I would say I didn't really completely adjust to that while I was there. But everything else was incredible. I mean, my teachers were incredible. 
the opportunities I had were incredible. So all in all, a great experience. Excellent. So, you know, we're coming at this from anthropologists, so we know exactly what it takes to do an anthropology degree. So what kind of courses are, were you taking at, at Oregon State University for zoology? Like, were there other disciplines that you had to dip into or is it primarily like biology focused? It was definitely biology focused. I had a lot of flexibility, luckily, just because of the zoology program that OSU offered. So I ended up kind of gravitating towards the evolution and paleontology classes and taking every one of those classes that I possibly could. But additionally, because I wanted to work with big cats, I was taking all the conservation classes, mammalogy classes, as well as, you know, the vertebrate, invertebrate zoology classes. But other than that, it was pretty much a biology degree. Cool. I think I took one zoology class in grad school, actually. It was behavioral ecology, but I definitely really wanted to do yeah, it was fun. Zoology in general, because I've just always obviously been really into animals, but I'm kind of bummed I never like did any. So I tell this all the time to people, but I, I mean, they know I took <laughs> my elective science as like astronomy because I thought it'd be cool to like know star stuff if I wanted to do Mayan archaeology, which was the dumbest decision I ever made in my life. <laughs> so there's a lot of math and I should have just done zoology. Ooh, anyway, yeah. That, was a yeah, tangent. that was my big thing too. Astronomy, rather than learning about stars, it's like physics. And I was like, man, this is not what I wanted. This is Electronic not what I wanted. Like the speed of light. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. See, I want to touch frogs. See, I took conservation biology, like biology 101, which was super interesting. And I, there was aspects of it I could definitely see myself studying in the future. And I actually really wanted to get in those upper division courses because that's where you got the dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff. But you really needed to build up the repertoire to get to there. Totally. Cause I'd probably be like way over my head. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the annoying thing about those types of electives is you don't really get to the good stuff for a few years. So you really have to build up for yeah. it. So if you don't have the opportunity, then yeah, I had a couple classes like that right. too, for sure. I would say yeah. That, what's one that stands out to you. Yeah. I mean, my evolution classes, I built up to the paleontology classes. So my evolution classes were mainly focused on general mechanisms. While, you know, once I got into paleontology, it was like extinct animals. Let's talk about the different geologic time periods and everything, kind of getting more specific into extinct animals, how, you know, vertebrates developed and everything, which is what I really wanted to learn about from the beginning. And so it took a few years to get there. And I'm so glad that I kept with it. Yeah, it really can be just a slog. And unfortunately, it takes a lot of time and money to get to that point. I know that all, probably all of us here, us anthropologists, archaeologists got like our senior level, junior level courses where we're like, okay, this is what I want to do. Yeah. But before that, I have to do cultures of the whole world and all the cultural anthropology, which is interesting for some folks, but not, not so much <laughs> for us strict archaeology science folks, for sure. Absolutely. Did you have a favorite dinosaur or a favorite, I should say, a favorite extinct mammal? Vertebrate. Favorite extinct vertebrate? I would probably say Paraceratherium. What is that? For the audience who doesn't know, (laughs) including myself, what is that? That is a giant extinct rhino, a hornless rhino. They were the largest land mammals to ever exist. Big thing. Yeah. So they kind of looked like a weird mix between an elephant and a giraffe and a rhino, but they were, I, I think they were 26 feet tall. And just the thought of that, when I found out about them, I just, I wanted to see that in person so bad. And I still do, but they're, they're my favorite. Yeah. Huh. There's a big giant outline of one, like, you know, those like statue, like flat ones at the museum of natural history, uh, in the vertebrate section or vertebrate paleontology. And it's like, I didn't really know. I thought, I think they were in the movie ice age. And I remember seeing like, I was familiar with that, like form of creature. But yeah. then I like looked up at it and I was like, oh my God. And yeah, it was like a rhino elephant with like a giraffe neck. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. Yeah. Really I don't think that was to scale in Ice Age though. I don't think. Because if it was like really to scale this little like sloth thing talking to like this 26 foot tall creature, I don't think they really would have done well. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess in like the theoretical what kind of stuff do you learn in like those vertebrate or like paleontology classes? Cause it's a lot of stuff that you can't observe ancient animals in their like yeah. natural habitats, but you can like do the fossils. So like, how's that kind of work? My favorite paleontology class went into different 
processes of evolution in different groups of animals. So the development of specialized teeth or the development of mammals from synapsids. So kind of just going through those processes while also showing different extinct species along the way. My teacher was cool because she went into, you know, just different things that she knew we would be interested in, like why whales got so big and and kind of just would take these tangents in different class periods that didn't necessarily follow along the scale or the, the time periods. And so, you know, we, we initially started with the Cambrian animals and then kind of went through the different periods that way, but then would kind of go on these tangents and yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't take any geology classes. So it's like that's stuff I really wish I know, but I learned through like PBS eons and stuff like that. You mentioned the whales. like So why did whales ultimately get so big? There are a couple different hypotheses. The one that I learned about in that class was focused on the end of an ice age. I can't remember the exact time frame of it, but it wasn't, it wasn't the most recent ice age. I want to say it was the one before then that, you know, as all of that ice was kind of pouring into the ocean, it was bringing these minerals and thus nutrients from the land masses into the oceans, which made phytoplankton explode, which made zooplankton explode, which just became an all-you-can-eat buffet for whales. And so there were really no limits on their size, how big they could get because they didn't have gravity weighing down. Gotcha. Well, undergrad is so fun in the courses, but I guess kind of tying this, this all back together, Lindsay, what was the game plan after you got your degree? You go for, you go to transfer to a different school. You were pursuing the zoology degree. Originally, what was the game plan post-grad? The original game plan was to work with big cats. And I did do that right after I graduated, but I graduated in 2020. So it was right, you know, in the middle of everything, which didn't give me a lot of job opportunities. Also, because I wasn't really ready to leave home at that point with everything going on. So I found an internship in Minnesota at the Wildcat Sanctuary, and I was there for six months. And I was going to continue with animal care, with big cat care specifically. But I ended up getting hurt at that job. Not None of the animals hurt me. I just overworked myself and I still have a pretty bad back from it. So I'm taking a break from that for now. And I'm hoping to kind of go more into evolution, paleontology, maybe in some educational aspect of it. Maybe eventually I'll go back to working with big cats, but I also realized that it was just a lot of work. And given that was my only experience in the U.S. was in Minnesota, where most of the work was, you know, preparing for the cold. So maybe it would be different elsewhere. But yeah, it was it was pretty tough on my body. I can imagine. Can't big cats can get COVID, right? Like that's been a concern with zoos. Yes. Yeah. Some of the cats did get COVID when I was there. Whoa. Yeah. We, we did a COVID test on one of the tigers. It was, you know, released to the public for public knowledge, but it was scary because we didn't know what it was at first. There was wheezing, there was coughing. We thought maybe it was moldy hay, which would have been worse because that could lead to neurological damage. But then we kind of determined that it was COVID after the test and just because of the symptoms. Luckily, none of them, you know, passed away. They all healed from it, but it was scary for sure. How does one give a tiger a COVID test? <laughs> so she, the tiger that we gave the COVID test to already needed to be put under for a different reason. I honestly can't remember what it was. She just needed to be checked for something. So while she was, you know, passed out, we did the nostril test. Yeah, I could. I was just envisioning in my head, like, you know, trying to stick like a stick up a tiger's nose has got to be a, an easy way to, to get hurt. Yeah, Daunting. exactly. Yeah. Would have been bad. Do, do we know if like, cause I wondered that too. And I don't think dogs can get it. I know one got it at some point. I don't know if it's like widespread, mm-hmm. uh, a gorilla got it, but do they lose their smell? I never like kind of looked into it, but I wonder if like a cat or like a dog kind of lost its smell. I don't be a bummer. Yeah. I don't know if there's any specific research on it, but I mean, of the cats that did get COVID, at some point, 
pretty much all of them just lost their appetite. And so I don't know if it was because they couldn't smell it or taste it, maybe, or just because they weren't feeling well, but that's all I really know about that aspect. I had this like mental image of like caretakers asking the survey questions to big cats, like, <laughs> can you taste your food? No. Can you, can you smell anything? And just like taking surveys from big cats, but all right. Well, uh, that's it for segment one. We'll be right back with segment two. And we're going to get into more of Lindsay's work with big cats. Cause she's done some other stuff prior to being a Minnesota that we really want to dive into. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're back with episode 96 of a life in ruins podcast. We're chatting with Lindsay Nicole, fellow TikToker. What do the kids say now? Is TikTokers, it TikToker? Yeah, you got TikToker? it right. Okay. I, I still feel worried about it myself, but <laughs> <laughs> you're really good at it. So now we're going to get into big cats and your experiences in Africa and at these different places. But I wanted to start off really quick. Tiger King. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I didn't watch all of it. So I can't speak okay. from, you know, what was actually presented. I heard plenty. So the places represented or shown in Tiger King, aside from Carol Baskin's sanctuary, which, which is a whole different thing. The other places are the reason why I went to school to, you know, okay. work with big cats was to rescue from places like that. When Tiger King first came out before I even, I had, you know, attempted to watch an episode and I just read what it was about. I knew right away that it was going to have horrendous impacts on the big cat trade in the U S and it did unfortunately. Really? Yeah. I think they went into it hoping to bring awareness to the big cat trade in some aspect and ended up focusing on the drama a little bit too much to where mm. most of the audience watching it were not really paying attention to the message that was supposed to be there. There's been a huge increase in animals that need to be rescued from bobcats to tigers, especially in the Midwest, just because, you know, the, the laws there are different. It is completely legal in a lot of places, which is just terrible. And so sanctuaries right now are actually overflowing with cats because there's just not enough space. So one of my goals, like a big goal of mine, if I ever have the opportunity to do this would be to open my own sanctuary just because we are in desperate need of another one in the U.S. Like a good one. Yeah. So I live outside of Denver and there is the U.S. Fish and Game Repository for Illegal Animal Trade down the road. And we got to visit it because I'm in a museum program as well. And the amount of big cat skins in that place was horrifying. And one of those facts that always stuck with me was the rangers there were like, yeah, there are more tiger skins in this building than there are live tigers in the wild and kind of went through like most of the things that they that are from in that repository aren't people trying to smuggle them in they're trying to smuggle them out because of these people that have big cats especially in like texas and midwest ranches where they raise cats for people to shoot and it was just like what and that has always I, I just can't get it out of my head. It was it was a it was a room of death, yeah. and it was just crazy to see all the animal products that they had, and it was just it was uh, so disheartening. Yeah, it's horrible. On a, a lighter note, have you guys seen Ace Ventura: Pet Detective? <laughs> a long time ago. I have yeah, not. Well, we, okay, well, in one scene, he's like a big conservationist. He like walks into this guy's like hunting like his room, and he has all like the mounts of just like all these different animals and stuff like this. And he just like, it's just him freaking out. And he's like, are you okay? He's like, no, this is a lovely room of death. It's, it's, <laughs> did, you, did you say pet detective or when nature calls? I think it's when nature calls. It's when nature calls. Yeah. yeah. That, that was the scene I was referencing. And I was like, no one got that, but I saw it. Oh. Yeah. Anyways. It's been a long time. <laughs> um, room of death. That really bums me out. Cause I mean, all of that does, but like even not remembering the Ace Ventura thing, but the, like, Tiger King, I thought would have made more awareness because I did see they passed some law that like was influenced by Tiger King that was like you can't with some kind of trading thing that was a positive law. I believe you're talking about the Big Cat Public Safety Act. I think is that what it is? Okay. I, I haven't been keeping up with it. I know that it passed through the House of Representatives. I don't know which one comes so first, Senate or House of Representatives. But House of Reps, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that act was going to make it illegal to have free contact 
unless you are, you know, you have the credentials to do so. And that was supposed to protect the public from, you know, being attacked. That was the main, you know, public push, but it was also to, you know, prevent this trade in a Mm -hmm. commercial aspect because so many of these cats that are being bred are just used for pay to pet facilities. Right. Yeah, that's it's terrible. Like the Doc Antle guy, like I, I see them post constant stuff with like chimpanzees on Instagram. And it's yeah. like cute because they're putting, you know, a diaper on chimpanzee that's yeah. objectively cute. But then like, no, like you yeah. shouldn't be doing that. And then the guy's like in a, a pond with like a tiger. And I'm like, I don't know. That one guy just got his arm bit off at a zoo. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a bummer. I have more but, on that, but we should be more yeah. positive here. But, but to the <laughs> reputable places that you've worked at, Lindsay, like <laughs> moving on. So you you got to work at some really cool. <laughs> so sorry, this is this is us. You've got to work at some really cool places during your undergraduate experience. And so starting off with the Chantamini Wildlife Center, how did you get one? I guess where is it, and how did you end up working there? So that is a wildlife center right outside of Corvallis, which is where Oregon State is. So a ton of the zoology students were volunteers there. That's how I heard about it. I think my, my counselor told me about it. So they just rescue and rehabilitate injured wildlife. So, you know, for Oregon, that was a lot of raccoons. There were a couple, uh, a couple of bald eagles there, some owls, crows, any of the, you know, birds from around there. Lots of birds which I, I wasn't really into at all because at that point I was only in school for big cats. didn't care about anything else. And birds sure. kind of scared me. They still do a little bit. I'm not a big bird person. It's for the birds. <laughs> one of, what, Get out of here. One of my most favorable <laughs> moments when I first met David and this, this is related. We were reading the origin of species for class. Awesome. And I'll never forget. I was, I was bugging, David in his office with like three other people and David just turned around <laughs> his chair and goes, there's a lot of pigeons. Be warned about the pigeons and just like turned around. And for some reason that always just stuck with me. And then yeah, Origin of Species has a lot of pigeons in it. I was like, huh. He just, it's like <laughs> 400 pages of him just being like, hmm, with like different iterations of breeding pigeons. And then at the end, he's like, I think evolution might be a thing, but I also love <laughs> pigeons. <laughs> Anyway, it's, it's it's worth the read, but sorry, yeah. we, we we cut in. So you didn't like birds? No. You didn't prefer birds, we'll say no. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had one experience there. And again, when I went into zoology, I was essentially a blank slate. I didn't know a lot about anything other than what the general public knows. And so my supervisor told me that I needed to go feed the great blue heron. And I didn't know what that was. I was expecting, you know, a crow sized bird. And she told me to go uh, prepare the food and, and go up to the room and, you know, go put the food in. So it was a huge tub of sardines. And I was like, how big is this bird? <laughs> like, if they need this one, <laughs> and I walk up to the room that the heron is being held in, and there's this huge sign that says, do not enter unless you put the goggles on. And I was like, what am I getting into right now? And there's these like, you know, lab goggles. So I put those on. I'm like shaking with those goggles on in a huge tub of sardines. And I walk in and this bird is just essentially suspended from this ledge that was like four feet in the air already. And so this thing was just towering above me and I just threw the bowl in and I left. I didn't even step foot in there. I threw it in and I was like, I'm not doing that again. Don't let me go in there again. I'm not doing it. Dude, I, I get it. Cause it, one, it's like the, the, the pterodactyl <laughs> dome in Jurassic park three. And then two, like birds freak me out because like the way like a chicken walks or like a pigeon in the city it's like how a dinosaur would have walked so like that is my biggest fear is going in just reeking of fish <laughs> to a bird right. thing like you're, yeah you're trembling because there's a dinosaur in there yeah <laughs> like what do you mean i need to put goggles on you know like it's gonna poke my eyes out come on are there like little pock marks on it from like people before getting like <laughs> stabbed in the eyes? imagine oh my god i wouldn't have put them on <laughs> <laughs> was it probably for that or was it just like so yes. you didn't get fish in your eye no it okay. was to make sure just in case the bird tried to poke your eyes 
Wow. I will never look at a heron the same because like, I always think they're like majestic creatures out in the wild, like, you know, doing nice things, but they're, they're really eye murderers. Yeah. From a distance, you know, (laughs) just observe from a a distance. (laughs) And you said it was, the task was to feed the big blue heron. So I'm now going to use that as a figure of speech when you got to do something you do not want to do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Back to, to cats. (laughs) So, that was it, Chim Chimney? Chim Chimney. Yeah. Okay. Close enough. Okay. I'll let you continue from there because I, I forget what to ask. <laughs> okay. <man. laughs> so, all right. So that was a, that was like a spring gig going from January to June. Yeah. So like, okay. And then the following year, you end up in Namibia? Namibia, yeah. Yes. Excellent. Working at the Cheetah Conservation Fund. So you finally, you got the big cat experience. So kind of along those those same lines, what was that process? That's right before your junior year, right? Yes. Okay. So January to May, how'd you end up there? My school offered an internship abroad and I, you know, signed up right when I saw it. Luckily I got accepted. I I was a little nervous that it was going to be a really competitive gig, but for some reason, nobody wanted to go there. And so, you know, they accepted me right away. I could not believe it. So, you know, the task was just experience working with cheetahs and, you know, dip your toes in ecology and just animal care in general. It was incredible. It was definitely the most life-changing experience that I've ever had. I, if I could be back there right now, I would. Awesome. Did you have to wear any special safety goggles with the cheetahs? <laughs> Not with the cheetahs, no. <laughs> <laughs> so what were you doing? Like what, what kind of roles and responsibilities did you have at this? Was it an internship or I guess class? Yeah, yeah it was an internship. Okay. So I was living, I was living there, you know, on site as the lead carnivore intern. So I started off as just an intern, but because I had that experience in South Africa when I was 18, I was, you know, fortunately a little bit ahead of everybody else. And so because I already had experience working with carnivores, they put me in that lead position. So I was generally supervising meat prep, which for cheetahs is a little bit more difficult because they don't have the jaw strength to crush the bones. And so you have to take the small bones out because they cannot swallow them it could, you know, harm them. And so that was the main thing with supervising meat prep was making sure that there were no small bones left. I also got to sit in on some workups of new cheetahs that came in. So, you know, just putting them under and measuring them, making sure they're healthy, making sure they don't have any illnesses going on or anything. And that was really cool to be a part of and to help my supervisors with. I also got to help release a hyena that we had been rehabilitating. That was, you know, definitely one of the highlights of my experience there was just watching That's a dream of mine. Yeah. Watching the hyena just run back into the wild and disappear is just it was incredible. So but other than that, it was like I said, meat prep, feeding the cheetahs, making sure that they were solid, you know, looking good every day. So where are you getting the meat from? Because I imagine you guys don't have a Walmart that you can go dumpster diving for expired meat like Joe Exotic. Like where, how are you how are you feeding all these all these large carnivores out there? So most of the meat came from local farms. It was the old and retired horses and donkeys. So okay. they would come, you know, intact and then we would have to separate them, which was a huge ordeal and took a lot of people, especially for the horses. Luckily, you know, the, the initial part of that, I didn't have to do as an intern. There were people that were hired to do that because, you know, that's pretty traumatizing in a way, but I I was involved in, in some aspects of it. Luckily I, I have a solid stomach for that. So it wasn't really a big deal. So your cheetahs ran on literal horsepower? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> that was a good one. It's a rite of passage in anthropology to like dissect and rip apart an animal because you have to do it for some archaeological class at some point or bio class. And I actually got to take apart a I shouldn't say take apart. D 
flesh, I would say, Ooh. a mountain lion, which is pretty Ooh, cool. Okay. It smelled very bad. The baboon was the worst one I ever defleshed, but yeah, it's like, sorry, you said like taking apart the horse. Like it's yeah. just like literally makes me think yeah. experimental archaeology. Yeah. I had, I had immediate flashbacks to cutting up <laughs> that bison with stone tools and it's just, oh my gosh. Oh God, am I the only person who hasn't cut up like a huge animal? <laughs> hey man, if you want to cut up the next goat with Devin, be my guest. <laughs> I don't know, man. I saw you almost puke like. 15 or so times and it almost got me so <laughs> for, for context we were like throwing this goat that we did experiment it was dead it was but we did like ballistics experiments and then cut it up with stone tools but then we had to deflesh it and throw it in a domestic colony and the people that we left it with put in a trash bag in an unventilated shaft and let it rot there for four days and i was stuck in a small room trying to <laughs> oh i'm gonna start gagging God. again man okay move it on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not great he actually will actually throw up so you might want to turn, <laughs> turn your camera off carlton on um, that note i think we're gonna end this segment before carlton loses all his marbles <laughs> this is episode 96 of the Ruins podcast we'll be back Welcome back to episode 96 of Live and Ruins podcast. We're again here with Lindsay Nicole from TikTok. In the interim, we had more riveting discussions about dead things, but getting us back on topic, Lindsay, you mentioned the the story about the hyena, which is awesome to me. One, like what would be like a great experience or memorable experience you could talk about? And then two, like what is something you'd like to tell the world about, like, you know, taking care of big cats and stuff? I would say probably one of the coolest experiences was at the wildcat sanctuary on one of my first days there when i was getting a tour of you know all of the buildings there were 120 cats there from you know small little cats to the big cats and i walked into this one building called feline meadows which is where a lot of the tigers were and this one siberian tiger named Tarek would not stop looking at me and following me wherever I went. He just would not take his eyes off of me. And it was a little bit scary, but it was, you know, obviously he was just kind of interested in, you know, this new person he had never seen, but the supervisor I was with was pretty surprised by his behavior. And, you know, was thinking maybe I looked like somebody that used to be in his life before he was rescued, but it was, it was so cool. And then when I turned around to leave the building, I heard this huge boom, like against the cage. And I, I turn around and he's just on his hind legs, just pressed against the fence. And because he was a Siberian tiger, he was, you know, 10 feet <laughs> up there. And I was just looking up at him and he was just staring at me. And I was just, I was speechless. And I still, you know, I still can't, wrap my head around the fact that I witnessed that, but that day on, he was my favorite tiger. And the day that I left and I, you know, my last day feeding him, I couldn't even like see him because of the tears in my eyes. I just fell in love with that tiger. I'm planning to get him tattooed on me, (laughs) but yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. I don't think I've seen a Siberian tiger. I've seen many Bengals. Yeah. I imagine they'd be huge. They, they don't That's look really real cool. at first. They, they don't look like real animals. They look like some sort of machine built by somebody to make a tiger look scary. <laughs> They're really <laughs> big. I always tell people when I give lectures, or I'll, I'll talk about it on Instagram sometimes too, but like if there were, if, I mean, there is life on other planets for sure, but like if there was one that was similar to us or just in general, there is probably some cat-like creature there because they are just so efficient at doing what they do absolutely Uh, like night vision claws smell like balance it's crazy cats are nuts yeah man you get to see that that's kind of did you ever find out why he was i guess not into you would be the word but like (laughs) why he liked to look at you i guess i don't know they use one of those cat surveys like they do for covid why do you like looking at Lindsay so much um (laughs) left hand do you like her right hand are you hungry (laughs) yeah i don't i don't really know didn't really ever figure out why but i you know i always told the group that i was feeding with like i'm feeding Tarek. nobody else is feeding Tarek. like i i got really i got really attached to him and so i think a lot of it just became, you know, obviously my attachment to him, but he was just a huge lovey guy. I mean, I would never, ever, ever trust, you know, 
any of the behavior on Tiger King. Because at the end of the day, like, even though they're acting so lovey with you and rubbing up against the fence and clearly wanting to be, you know, pet in some aspect, the thought of putting my even a finger in just, you know, with what has happened in the past, I mean, you can feel that power from them no matter what. So I don't, I don't understand how people can even get inside the enclosure with them because just the thought of sticking a hand in is terrifying to me. Yeah. Yeah. There's like that video I've seen on YouTube. It's dude, I I have no idea what the context, but he's talking to the camera. He's with a big cat and there's another cat of a different species, like stalking him and starts booking it. And like a third cat comes out of nowhere, like a middle linebacker and checks him out and deflects the stalking cat. And the dude's kind of weirded out by it, but I've, just one of those things. It's like, you know, crocodile hunter you watch him and he's really good about it, but there's times where he gets snuck up on it and you're like, man, Steve, come back to us. Yeah. RIP taken too soon. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like you can get like a healthy respect. Like that's something that should be necessary as part of that because they are big murder machines. Mm-hmm. I mean, efficient murder machines. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, they're apex it, predators. <laughs> Absolutely. I just think it's bonkers that you've had these experiences. Like, I think it's just so awesome that you've been put like those are, you know, from one group of scientists to another, like we hear it from some folks like, yeah, being archaeologist sounds cool. But, you know, some of those experiences you guys in bio have with like living animals and just as you mentioned, like the raw power that some of these big cats have Mm -hmm. and you're around it is just that must be just absolutely amazing. I have another one that could blow your mind. Oh, please do. Okay. So same place. It it was in the winter months, so it was really cold. So at night, we have to bring all the cats inside, lock them inside, because if they, for some reason, get stuck outside, they could freeze to death. One of the lions, Gino, had neurological issues. So he would kind of just walk in circles and get stuck in it. And it was pretty much impossible to get him out of that. And it always happened outside. It was really late. We were trying to get him out of that circling, trying to get him locked inside the building. I was right up against the fence and it was pitch black. It was at night and I could just hear him circling from the distance. And we were just going, Gino, Gino, Gino. And then it went quiet for a little bit, but we kept, you know, going, Gino, Gino. And next thing I know, I feel his breath on my face and him, he's just roaring at me. (laughs) And it was so dark out that I couldn't see him, but I could feel the warmth of his breath and the roaring was just ringing my ears and my heart dropped and it was a terrifying experience just knowing if that fence wasn't there, I would be dead. But because it was also, you know, this is what I went to school for. It was also that adrenaline rush was just like, I love right. my job. <laughs> so Damn. I would have been wearing brown Carhartt pants the entire time I worked at that place because there's no, no way. I just, I, I just wonder how many like prehistoric folks in like North America or South America had like a smilodon or whatever, do the same sort of thing. You get the little breath and then you're just, that's the last thing you feel right. in this world as this, this animal d- destroys you, eviscerates you. Yeah. It's like a rare thing to be able to talk about then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't really have that experience. You just, that's just how you're done. <laughs> I always ask this when people are with animals, but like, do, do they have a distinct smell or like, was his, could you smell his breath when he was roaring at you? Um, Probably hay, I guess, but. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely a smell, but I, I wouldn't say it's distinct. It, it just, okay. it just smelled warm. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. Like a, a cat breath is always interesting to me, but it usually kind of is like fishy because I guess that's what their food's made out of. Yeah. Or like canned cat food. Anyway. anyway uh. <laughs> oh. Well, I got, I got one question. Are there, are there tongues really crazy too? Because they, they're like uh domestic cats roughness, but like on steroids, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they just, it just looks like a giant domestic cat's tongue. They constantly groom themselves too. And that's really loud just because of how big their tongue is in those bristles. Huh. Hmm. Like like the fur is loud or like the licking sounds loud? The licking sound is loud. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, things you'd never think you'd hear. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So obviously you are a TikTok personality. That's why we invited you on and how we how we know about you. So what are kind of some positives and negative things that you see as being part of a TikTok community and being a creator? Yeah, totally. I mean... 
finding this community of people who are super interested in animals and sometimes know a lot more about a subject than I do and end up teaching me something is really amazing. Just, you know, seeing that fascination in people of seeing, I'm so glad you did a video on this or you just made this make so much sense to me is definitely my favorite part about it. It's just helping people learn in a way that works for them. The negatives, I would say, are just the types of hate that can come from people expecting to be just another anonymous comment in the comment section. And the reality is there's tons of those, but I could open my app at any time. That could, that, that could be the first comment that I see in my notifications. When I first started making videos on TikTok, I was never expecting them to get as big as they are now. I was just expecting to, you know, get a thousand views max on videos. And the first time that one of my videos went viral, right when it started hitting like 600K, even before then, I started noticing that those hate comments started pouring in just because they expect to get lost in, you know, everything else going on. And I wasn't really prepared for it. And it, it hurt. And I started thinking like, I can't stop this. This video just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I want it to stop. But you know, as time has gone on and I've, I've gotten kind of used to it, I've gotten thick skin. It doesn't bug me anymore, but I wasn't expecting to deal with this because I was never expecting to get this big. So it was an adjustment, but the good definitely outweighs the bad. So good. Yeah. That is something I didn't anticipate either. And like, is it more like for you, is it like anti-evolution stuff or is it hate like against you personally, like ad hominem or just like... It's both. I mean, a lot of it is on yeah. the evolution videos. Some of it is because I'm a woman. They they don't trust what I'm saying because I'm a woman. A lot of it too is because I'm gay. And so mm. I actually just saw a comment today that said, it looks like you're having a great time. And then I remember that you're a lesbian and you're going to hell. It's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. I yeah. wasn't going to ask if that was specifically why, but I, w- I wondered. Yeah. That's something that I've run into with creators too. It's like, there's a definite, like our friend Ella put a video on TikTok and she got like absolutely just ripped apart for just making a point. And it's like a bummer. Cause like if it's a vastly different experience for a man and a woman mm-hmm. yeah. on social media. And that really pisses me off. It yeah. was replying to a pseudo archaeologist too. It wasn't even like it was, she was just saying, this is wrong. This is why this is my background. And she got absolutely eviscerated in the comments and she ended up deleting it. Like, I'm not doing this. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. But I mean, like what keeps you going? Like what was, what was that first inspiration to do the TikToks? Like what compelled you to do it? And like, what keeps you going? So I joined TikTok in July of 2020. So about a month after I graduated I was so bummed that not only, you know, I graduated during the pandemic, but I also was about to stop this amazing process of learning. And I had all this information. I didn't have a job yet to project that information to anybody else. The people I was quarantined with, I think were a little bit sick of it. And they told me to get on TikTok and start making videos because I had all this information. So that was why I did it. Why I keep doing it is, I mean, like I said, when people tell me that I explained something in a way that finally made sense to them, that is my favorite thing ever. I love that, like, I've been able to somewhat create this community, you know, in the comment sections of people connecting in different ways about different topics and just educating, just getting people aware of different, you know, topics, especially evolution, because a lot of the comments on there, the positive comments are... I wasn't taught this in school or I am not being taught this in school. And so thank you for, you know, providing this for me. And I love that. So. Yeah. Awesome. We had, or, I mean, it's, it's Isaac, but when we had Zeke Darwin on the other day too, like he teaches in rural Kansas, not rural, but next to Westboro West- Baptist church. Yeah. 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 And like as a teacher during the day and then on TikTok, it's just the evolution comments are crazy. I haven't gotten so many like, evolution is wrong. I get like a few. There's always going to be like, what are you going to do? Right. But like, I, I agree. Like I haven't really talked to somebody with that same experience where like when somebody says, I never thought of it that way, holy shit. And like, yeah, it, yeah. like it just evolution isn't taught 
very well in schools if it is taught. So like people just have no idea. And then like they just think it's like that linear from a monkey to a person. That's just like not the case in the slightest. Right. And it's taught in a way that just removes the magic of it. I think just, I, I think I was, I was taught the perfect way in college by the professors I had. I was just constantly thinking about, you know, extinct animals and different species that used to exist and how things have changed over time. And I think generally, especially in high school and stuff, evolution is just, you know, got to make the flashcards, got to get the vocab down, like got to get everything right on the test and then just let it go as is everything in high school, but just being taught the right way just makes you think about the world differently and ecosystems and, you know, species diversity differently. And it's an incredible thing to kind of open your mind up to. Yeah. Carlton and Connor can speak to this too, but in grad school and like arc theory or cultural theory, like you're taught, like you have different lenses that you put on to like look at different, you know, to view science different ways and like an evolutionary way of looking at things is a certain like once you understand that, like the whole world makes a lot of sense. Like it's, it's like the animal kingdom specifically and like bugs and right. yeah, it just bums me out that people just don't, not that they don't get it or that they don't want to know about it, but that people don't get it. Like how cool it is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Even if we take man or humans out of the, the story, like that story is still super, super interesting. You yeah. know, I think it's like, if just just the story of how things go from you know dinosaurs to even even closer to us like uh, i know some of your videos on like uh recent megafauna in south america stuff it's just really it's really interesting and it's it's sad that it's become this buzzword this negative topic that no one wants to teach because like you said it is it's absolutely fascinating i guess as we wrap up here what i don't want to ask you like four questions but i'll put it this way if there's something you'd like to tell the world either about, like, what, what do you want to do with your TikTok? Oh, something about big cats or just anything like that. Like, what would you just like to say? Oh, man. I, I guess I would say just respects the power that animals have, that ecosystems have, that, you know, this whole entire planet has in, you know, the process of natural selection and understands that there's a much bigger purpose than you. And you are part of a very big purpose. That's a really good way to put it. That's a great way to end it. Yeah. Thank <laughs> yeah. you, Lindsay. <laughs> so before before we close out the show, what are a couple sources? These could be books, articles, videos, et cetera, that you would recommend for anyone interested in zoology or the topics that we talked about tonight? Yeah. I am actually only just starting to read Charles Darwin, Origin of Species. So I'm recommending that just as a baseline of, you know, if you're just learning about it, why not? read the ideas of the really the first person that published ideas of it. I would also recommend my octopus teacher on Netflix. It's pretty educational, but I think it also just really has that magic of respecting ecosystems and understanding the bigger, you know, mechanism of this, the way that the main guy talks about his experience, you know, interacting with this octopus is just incredible so i would recommend that as well that documentary thing like my friend said it made him cry screwed yeah. me up for like at least yeah. a week yeah. it was that was deep yes i was gonna watch it definitely better than the puff the puffer fish thing <laughs> definitely not the same definitely not the same <laughs> where can people find you yeah you can find me on tiktok at Lindsay nicole l-i-n-d-s-a-y-n-i-k-o-l-e on instagram with the same spelling but it's Lindsay underscore nicole Awesome. I think we're friends on Instagram too. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. We are. Did I also see that you have a, a coloring book out? I do. I made a okay. deep sea coloring book. It has 20 different deep sea specimens with tons of space to create a whole environment around them, as well as handwritten informational messages about each species, where you find them, cool different qualities about them all wrapped up in a coloring book. Cool. And you will be able to find that link to that stuff. TikTok or Instagram in the show notes. So we will have that there. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. And because we are a life in ruins, we usually ask the question, would you still choose to live a life in ruins? And this time I actually prepared ahead of time to ask a question that's more relevant to you because (laughs) our producer told me last time that I 
sound like train wrecks. So, <laughs> Lindsay, so if given a chance again, would you still choose to live a life studying big cats and making besties with Siberian tigers? Yes, absolutely. Excellent. Awesome. Well, everyone, we just interviewed Lindsay Nicole. You can find her on TikTok and Instagram at uh, Lindsay Nicole on TikTok and at Lindsay underscore Nicole on Instagram. You can find all those in the show notes down below. I just Amazon one click impulse bought her coloring book awesome. as you were talking. So mm-hmm. I think you guys should too. I'll put a picture, put it on my Instagram. Guys, also, I say this every time to the audience. Some of you actually got into our DMs and or not my DMs and said, that you did rate and review the podcast. You guys are true kings, the three of you that did it. And I think there was a queen in there too. Either way, great people is what I'm trying to say. We don't need to put any genders on it, but keep doing that. Rate and review the podcast. It'd be great for us. Just please do it. And I will send you a sticker if you do it. That seems to, to incentivize people. And to the folks that did leave reviews on iTunes who have no way to figure out your address, can you please email us at lifeandruinspodcast <laughs> at gmail.com so we can fulfill David's spur of the moment guarantee of receiving stickers. I don't want to buy stamps, guys, but I'll, I'll send them. <laughs> 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 Lindsay, it's been great. This is actually one of my favorite episodes, I think. This was good. Oh my God, I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me. And with that, we are out. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. Well, it's that time, everyone. For Connor's closer joke. Connor, what do you have for us today? So I wrote this myself, so it's going to be terrible. (laughs) But it is biology related and archaeology related. So So an archaeologist is walking in a field and trips over a mound of dirt and unfortunately falls and breaks his neck. Passes away. R.I.P. Very sad. It doesn't normally happen in the field. It's just a joke. Let me let me have it. His co-workers want justice and ultimately find the animal that created the mound and arrest it. What did they charge the animal with? <laughs> Involuntary <laughs> manslaughter. Oh, Jesus, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, and with that, we are out. That was complicated. <laughs> oh I didn't know where we were going with that. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.